Uh, I mean, we all be, became probably reformed by choice. I, I chose to be um, Presbyterian. You know, mm -hmm. I was I was raised in sort of non-denominational, and I moved to be confessionally reformed with conviction uh, because it's true, and that truth is what gives life. And so, when we have, like one theologian said, um, the one who knows God best loves and praises Him best. <laughs> That's what we want in our modern world. We want people to understand the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So I think getting getting beyond the older that newer isn't always better is probably one one step in that direction and one step toward answering that question. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, a show devoted to bridging the gap to the historic Reformed Christian faith. Listen in as two friends, a layman Nick and a pastor Peter, discuss core doctrines of our confessional traditions with seminary and college professors, seasoned pastors, and more. These seasonal episodes exist to reach those outside the church, those in the pews, behind pulpits, and in the academy with rich truths of Reformed theology, and remind ourselves weekly how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we're on an Introduction to Reformed Theology seasonal episode. This episode is Reformed Theology in the Modern World, and our guest today is Dave Brionis. And just like uh, all our guests of this season... Uh, they are affiliated in some way, shape, or form to Westminster Seminary, California. So you will hear how he has that connection to that seminary school here in a moment. Um, but yeah, we're kind of wrapping up. Well, we are wrapping up this season. So if you guys haven't listened to any of the other episodes, uh, you can feel free to listen to this one in its entirety. But uh, please remember to go back and uh, go to our archive, whether it's YouTube or the podcast app, and just find them in order. Uh, you can go on Instagram, and it's an easy way to see all our episodes in order as well, or, or our YouTube playlist will show them categorized in order. So it's pretty easy to follow along and find where one leaves off. So uh, check that out. We're also on Twitter, um, aka X, and uh, we do pretty much daily communication there, uh, talking about all sorts of things, posting things. Uh, we talk a lot about books. Uh, our book club episodes and our seasonal episodes and what's what's coming up and uh, with our future or with our next season. So uh, if you also go to our show notes, there's a link. If you want to find a church to call home, specifically a reformed denomination like the URC, OPC, PCA or others, uh, there's a link that's pretty helpful. You can find uh, anywhere in the country, the closest reformed churches near you. Um so other than that, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll post some resources and information uh, that have to do with this season and this episode and things like that if they come up. Uh, one book that I've been using all season, I think we'll attach to the uh, show notes if we haven't already, is a book by Crossway, Creeds, Confessions, and Catechisms, edited edited by Chad Van Dixhorn. He's uh, so that's a very helpful book, and so it's helped me generate questions uh, for this season focusing on our beloved confessions and catechism. So I'll let Peter further introduce our guest today, David Brionis. Yeah, we have uh, welcoming on today, Dr. David Brionis, who is actually 
one of the first people I met at Biola, one of my first professors mm-hmm. at Biola, never had him at Westminster, but I had him at Biola. So it's one of the few, but that's the case. And he's the brand new associate professor of New Testament, Westminster Seminary, California, which must feel kind of weird to even hear for yourself. But it's uh, it's a pleasure having you on, Dr. Brionis. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's really good to be with you guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. this will be this will be fun. And Nick didn't talk about it on the front end, but this is this is also kind of dedicated to the hundredth anniversary of uh, Christianity and liberalism from Jay Gresham Machen. So his mm-hmm. book, which uh, Dr. Brionis played a pretty big part in producing a podcast. I don't not I don't know if producing, but at least hosting the podcast series with Westminster Press. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, how how did that go for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I never envisioned myself being a podcast host, to be honest, but. When I was asked to do it, I just love having conversations with people and talking about theology and uh, the church. So it just made sense. I ended up not dreading it after all and actually really <laughs> enjoying it. Yeah, that's that's right. And I don't know if you knew this, but that ep- that um, podcast series, I don't know how many episodes are in it, but it, it debuted in the top 50 of religion uh, in iTunes. I, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's, I, 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 think I, I didn't. I didn't assume you knew that, but something. it was it was it was top fifty for a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm just not on social media. I have no idea what's going on in that world. So, I think one of the producers mentioned something about being in the top whatever, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's cool," but I have just unregistered. <laughs> yeah, it's so a pretty big I'm, deal. But I am glad. I mean, I'm glad that you know we live in a podcast culture. And that's how people get their theology. So I'm glad that it was helpful. That's awesome. Nice. So first kind of question before a bigger question. Uh, let our listeners know a little bit more about Dave Brionis, the person, even beyond as a teacher. Okay. Uh, well, I'm I'm married to my beautiful wife. Uh, she, We've been married now for 19 years. Okay. And uh, we met shortly after I became a Christian at 18, and we have four children, uh, so uh, 12 down to four, okay. and it's life joyful and chaotic. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's been fantastic. Uh, a little bit about myself, I guess. I I love what I get to do. I, I really can't believe that I get to do what I get to do. And so being able to teach theology, train people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to proclaim him. Uh, man, it's awesome. And besides that, I like playing sports. I like mm. working out. I like hanging out with my kids, playing baseball, uh, nice. basketball. We play pickleball. My son's super. What is pickleball? I've been hearing about that more lately. What you is that? You don't know that? pickleball, Peter? I have oh, no man, idea what pickleball is. <laughs> <laughs> you got to hang out with more old people, Peter. That's what I was saying. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just not, in, I'm just not in that. Like, I honestly, I've heard more about pickleball in the last week than I've ever heard in my entire life. What on I, earth is pickleball? When I first heard about pickleball, it was like the image of a 70 year old man. That's exactly the image I have. over. Uh, but now it's like a really competitive sport. It's basically for people who, Love ping pong, but can't play tennis. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a great way to put it. <laughs> okay. Um, so so I knew I was going to sound like oh. an idiot, but like I just I don't even know what this this stuff is. <laughs> I'll, I'll just be honest and and forthright. Like you can ask dumb questions and I like it. <laughs> I remember a lot. I remember playing pickleball in uh, PE growing up too. And then like must decades be later, all of a sudden, we definitely did not play pickleball in California. No. <laughs> <laughs> we played kickball. That was big for California. We played 
We played a little bit like flag football. We play a little bit of like soft pitch softball and stuff, but definitely not pickleball. We played a lot of handball. That's the thing we did. Yeah. Yep. That was a big thing. Yeah. It's fun. You should try it out. I mean, especially if you get someone who's uber competitive, it's just, it's pretty fun. You could put, I don't, I don't meet one of the requirements yet. I'm not 70 years old. That's, that's, (laughs) well, that's the thing you don't need to. People are like, you know, uh, really the younger crowd starting to get into it. Tennis players can't stand pickleball. So there's the obvious uh, snobbery that goes on. Yeah, there's, there's classism. There's the tennis players and there's the there's the pickleball players. <laughs> it is. That's right. That's that's funny. So second yeah. more real question. I guess not more real question, just more substantial question. Uh, so all guests for season six are Westminster faculty and or alumni across the world. And you happen to be one of the newest minted faculty members with Jason Pickard. So as one of those newly minted professors. I'm going to ask three kind of consecutive questions, just answer them consecutively. So first, when did the opportunity to teach at Westminster come? I remember talking to you when you came down for a, I don't know, it was a conference speech or whatever it was. It was on friendship. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when did the opportunity first come to teach at Westminster and attached to that, why'd you take it? And then second question is as a professor of New Testament, can you describe the curriculum, especially so biblical studies and New Testament, because that's what you teach, uh, and why it's you why it's uniquely set up in a Westminster kind of way. Yeah. And then lastly, so sorry, there's a lot of questions. For those <laughs> looking to be educated in confessional reform theology, why come to Westminster? Okay, you might have to remind me. Uh, so first the, one, when did the opportunity theory, first but, come and why did you take it? Okay, yeah, so... Um, well, I thought I'd, I thought I would be in Philly till I retired. Because you were a Philly professor for two years, three years? For four. Four years. Okay, four years. Yeah. Yeah. So at Reformation Bible College before that for about five and a half. Yeah. During that time, I was talking a little bit to John Fesco and, you know, but it ended up happening that Westminster East hired me. Yeah. Uh, and so I just thought, okay, this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And and you resigned to Philadelphia weather for the rest of your life. I it was hard, and <laughs> to be honest, it was I did it, I did so begrudgingly, but it was the sufferings of Christ, right? So I, <laughs> yeah. I said that I'm gonna. You be... could take the SoCal boy out of SoCal, but you can't take the SoCal <laughs> out of the SoCal boy. That's right. Now I, there's always a part of me that just says Southern California is better. Um, <laughs> Amen. But I just loved the school, loved the faculty. Uh, I loved what I got to teach. It it was it was a great experience. Um, during, I heard about Nick Brennan leaving and, and then some people were, you know, like, uh, another student that I had at RBC who went to West Cal texted me like, Hey, you should consider applying. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm dedicated to West. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then someone else said something. And then I went to speak at a, I give the charge at ordination service Mm -hmm. of another student and. A board member i stayed with the board member at west cal and he mentioned you're like hey, stop it stop, stop asking me these questions <laughs> yeah and I, I was just like no i'm i'm committed you know and 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 besides they've got dr brad bittner they don't need another paul guy um so they've got that handled it, they wouldn't even take me anyway and then my i had a my brother my sister-in-law's husband went to west cal and she called and said, hey, Dave should consider, told my wife, Dave should, Dave should consider oh my gosh. applying. 
And again, There's one person after the other, they're just telling you to apply. It must, yeah. must, must kind of mean something. <laughs> I, I know, right? Take a sign. Um, so at that point, Mindy just said, unless the president calls, then we're not going to consider unless it. President Biden calls you, you're not going <laughs> yeah, to right. consider. <laughs> that's basically ex cathedra right there. Um, <laughs> so the two days later, Joel Kim calls me and just try and ask, would I consider this as a possibility? Anyway, one thing led to another. And, you know, it's five, six months, four months later, five months later, we're here. And it was like the phone conversation that just totally turned our world upside down. Um, but why did I take it? Mm -hmm. I, I, for me, both Westminster's are phenomenal places. Yeah. And they have phenomenal faculty. Mm -hmm. And I could easily see myself dying, retiring, dying in either place. Mm. And so, again, going back to what I get to do and what these seminaries are doing as they are confessionally reformed institutions wanting to train, train students to proclaim the gospel, uh, the whole counsel of God. I could be at either place. But what ultimately drew me was faculty, student body. And what I mean by that, I don't I didn't know the student body other than some uh, former students that I had, but mm -hmm. but how close the community was and how intentionally communal it is and how small it is. And um, and we're then, a lot smaller than people think we are. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I'm like, we're really see. small. <laughs> Yeah, it is small and it's We're great. about 90 students as far as I know. Even oh, yeah. though I know like the official roles say 120, it doesn't feel like 120. No, and that's that's a great feeling too because you're able to be intentional in discipleship and be and even discipled by students. There's a lot that goes on uh, in that context, which I love. Yeah. So it's been really great. And family is an hour and a half as well. Oh, yeah. So they're in Ranch Cucamonga. That's where I was raised. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So that's, that's that was a huge yep. draw. Yeah. Nice. All those things combined. So second question, if you forgot, it was yeah. what makes the New Testament studies department unique at Westminster? Like what's what's the approach with the languages, with biblical studies, all that stuff? Yeah, man. Well, I could say one of the big draws, too, was being able to work with Brad Bittner. Okay. Mm -hmm. He is just a phenomenal guy. He is, um, he is a very he's a very good guy. Yeah. He was my Paul professor at Westminster. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he's he's just the whole package deal. I mean, godly, brilliant. Is yeah. the kindest humble, human being anybody will kind. ever meet. I watched this guy at a Spanish church literally lead the church in worship in Spanish. Yeah. Go back and forth between English and Spanish. Yep. Then he goes to the side. He's the whitest he, dude you'll ever meet who knows Spanish. Yeah. yeah. He's a he's a gringo for sure. And <laughs> and he's there. Then he's he gets on the guitar and he's leading worship. And he's singing with his two girls, his younger girl. And then he goes to the piano and plays the piano and he's singing uh, in Spanish. And I'm just like, who is this guy? <laughs> so it was such a draw to, to come and, and uh, be the New Testament department. And I think what I love about our desire, as much as I can tell, because he's been on sabbatical since I've gotten here. <laughs> it's been such a bummer. Yeah. But I, as far as I can tell, I mean, we're, we want to be deeply exegetical. Yep. Uh, we want to be robustly theological, biblical and systematic. We want to be confessional and we want to be pastoral. And I think that for me, at least, has always been the case. And I think it is for him, too. Uh, no doubt it is. That's how we craft our classes. Mm. And so we want to 
uh, we're also obviously going to major more in biblical studies because they get their systematic theology courses elsewhere, but we want to uh, see how they can all be mutually enhancing and integrated and, and for the church to yeah. produce humility in oneself and love for God and neighbor, and then to have that uh, humbly trained, uh, informed pastor go and preach sim with simplicity and zeal and fervent love for the souls of people. I mean, that's that's basically what we're after uh, in teaching New Testament at Westminster Seminary. And what sets us apart as well, as far as other curriculums go, and there are phenomenal seminaries all over Absolutely. the nation you can go to, no doubt about it. What makes Westminster's, but Westminster Seminary California distinctive um, is the emphasis on biblical languages mm -hmm. uh, and being able to use biblical languages in your Paul and Epistles class, in yep. Gospels and Acts, in Hebrews. That's Rath. all we looked at was the Greek in Paul's uh, Paul's epistles. It's fantastic. That I and mean, that's, that's the end. So I don't understand how, you know, uh, you can learn summer Greek, right? And then mm -hmm. use it Stop. in your class. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like I just learned grammar for grammar's sake. It's so deflating. Yeah, that's so, why people look at languages and say, like, well, what good use is it if I'm never going to use it? Well, of course. And if you were doing that, I, I would say don't even learn a language. But if but if you come to a place like Westminster Seminary, California, we we teach you the language. We teach you grammar and syntax and and even discourse analysis. Um, it to be able to preach faithfully and clearly and well and to know uh theology from the ground up because after all greek and hebrew uh is the core of exegesis which is the foundation of bt and st mm -hmm. so we want that and we want our pastors to be equipped in that way so that's that's what sets us apart i think um okay. although i've only been here for three months <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i got you there no that's and that's what that's what drew me there was yeah if i'm gonna learn this stuff i might as well literally learn from the source and and not to say translations aren't good for what they are but if you're up there at the podium proclaiming god's word like you better think and know that this is god's word and this is not your opinion or whatever you might have gotten from the internet but this is like what this is what the word says yeah exactly that was that was, that was really helpful for me <clears throat> um, yeah and just for help some people out there just listening to the conversation, BT, biblical theology, ST, yep. systematic theology, just for, mm -hmm. so you guys aren't lost. <laughs> yeah, no, thank, thank I was yeah. thinking that same thing when Nick, yeah, when Nick just, I'm, so I'm glad Nick actually said it. Um, so Thanks. last question, part of that little thing was, you've already kind of answered this. Why, why should someone go to Westminster? Somebody's looking at a reformed education. There's a bunch of reformed seminaries out there that are fantastic, but why Westminster, California? Uh, I mean, I, I would say this is what Joel Kim told me. Um, we want to be a confessionally reformed institution. Mm -hmm. That's what we long for. Uh, and so there's obviously going to be a little bit of variety within sure. the confessionally reformed institution because the confession allows for variety. Mm -hmm. But we want, I, I think coming to Westminster Seminary, California is a good option because of the things that I just mentioned. But I think because you will get that confessionally reformed education, um, that's that's the bread and butter of the school. Um, yeah, and I think also when you think about other options, there are obviously other options and people don't always come because it's a confessionally reformed institution. I think I had one student tell me who's second year or maybe third year. Do you know him, Stephen Bird? 
I do um, know Stephen Bird. Yep. Maybe I shouldn't mention names, but um, <laughs> we mentioned he, a few names here before. Yeah, he's he lived he, uh, he lived above me uh, at in the village. Oh, that's right. That's Him right. And Sage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I just named another person from Westminster. I know. I was about to mention another, but but Stephen, <laughs> I think it was Stephen who told me this. He's like, basically, I I came to Westminster because of the Google algorithm. Like, <laughs> that's basically it. I was on my way to Bethel. Right. That's the and, that's the one time the algorithm is good for us. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, not everyone comes because it's confessionally reformed, but I can say even for those who aren't confessionally reformed, we love the Bible. Like the Bible is at the core of what we do. Yeah. And not just the Bible as no creed but the Bible, but also thinking about the Christian church and what the church has always taught and how it's gone against heresies and and um has affirmed the true biblical view of who Jesus is. I mean, those are all things that we want and do at WSC. Awesome. Wonderful. That tees up into my question perfectly because we're talking about 2023 here, a reformed seminary. And a lot of people are like, I didn't know those existed. What's reformed? What's a reformed seminary? What's reformed theology? Well, if you've been listening to this, what what is all this stuff they're talking about? if you've been listening this season, you already know, at least hopefully, because we've been doing introduction to reform theology. But this is appropriate to ask um, because, you know, the the Protestant Reformation happened over 500 years ago, you know, and there's a lot of things that have happened since 500 years ago. So there's some people that might think it's really esoteric and old fashioned and maybe come across a uh, little, uh, little cold a little cold or, you know, and, and, you know, what about this flashy charismatic modern church theology? It seems what much more culturally context, you know, so they're like, why, why go to a reformed church? So, so that it kind of begs the question, you know, uh, even though a lot's changed in the last 500 years since the reformation and the reformation was pointing back to the scripture in the early church, of course, why do we need reformed theology in this modern world? It's a rhetorical question. Hopefully the audience (laughs) knows that it's. uh, Yeah, Yeah, of course. I assume they know that, you know, the answer to that question. (laughs) Um, But it is, it is interesting. You've got, you've got uh, different perceptions of someone who is reformed, right? Like you mentioned cold. I remember my mom went to the first reformed church that we started going to, um, in England and she walked out of there and I said, how did you like the service? And she's like, uh, yeah, it was okay, but everyone was just so cold. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And ultimately it comes back down to the worship. Yeah. Um, that's exactly how my wife's, um, I, I think she actually listens to this show. So I'm sorry for saying this, but that is exactly how my wife's mom responded. <laughs> she grew up Catholic. Okay. And she's yeah. like, she's like, I'm worried that you guys are turning Catholic now. This is not good. As you probably know, we talk a lot about Westminster Seminary, California on here. I can't even begin to tell you the impact this institution has had on my faith, my family, and the ministry the Lord has entrusted me with. If you feel called to serve the church and want the most rigorous training for gospel ministry around, consider coming to Westminster Seminary, California, a confessionally reformed institution in sunny San Diego, that offers master's degrees in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity. Westminster's approach to ministry education emphasizes a mastery 
of the original biblical languages, maintaining a small student-to-professor ratio, a laser focus on face-to-face education coupled with an understanding of the importance of having pastor scholars with decades of ministry experience train the next generation of servant leaders for the church of Jesus Christ. If this interests you, and I hope it does, call Westminster today at 888-480-8474 to talk to admissions counselor or visit www.wscal.edu. Again, call Westminster Seminary California today at 888-480-8474 or log on to www.wscal.edu, which will all be available in our show notes. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, his gospel, and his church. Uh, yeah, so you also you also get different, uh, the, another different perception of Reformed people is that they're cocky, and they just want mm-hmm. to uh, basically show you that you don't know anything about God, mm-hmm. and they want to teach you everything. So different, different perspectives uh, and different perceptions. So Reformed theology... The question then becomes, well, how does it relate to the modern world or how does it speak to the modern world? Um, you know, our modern world, <clears throat> we we think that that older is worse, <laughs> right? Ancient mm-hmm. is bad. Chronological uh, snobbery. Maybe. It's <laughs> new it's is good, ancient is bad. Chronological snobbery. That's it. Yep. Uh, and and I think the, the the problem with that, Kevin DeYoung, I, I interviewed him for the podcast. Yeah. And he had this great line. I just loved. I said, um, "How can you help modern people know that actually older is better?" And he said, "Older is better when it's truer." <laughs> I'm like that's it. It's yeah, a little one liner. That's, that's a T-shirt yeah. right there. That is a total <laughs> T-shirt uh, with a picture of Kevin DeYoung's face right yeah. there. So awesome. I'm sure that's what people want on their chest. <laughs> <laughs> But I just I, I thought that's that's it right there. It's it's that it's truer. Um, you know, in our modern world, you have so for example, a church I went to, I won't mention the name, but it was a non-denominational church. Mm-hmm. And their motto was, it's not your grandma's church. Hmm. Right? This I, I think they changed it now. Uh, hmm. but it's not your grandma's church. And I'm thinking about Eunice and Lois and Timothy and Second mm-hmm. Timothy. One, I'm thinking it about, was their grandma's church. <laughs> was, yeah, if we didn't have grandma's church, we wouldn't have the faith. Um, yeah. huh. So, and, and then the covenantal structure of always working with the family, you know, and so it's just really interesting how we think in our modern day, or we think like Rudolf Boltmann, who's like, oh, we've got the light bulb now, right? We can't believe in this old text that speaks of heaven and hell, earth in between. Uh, we had a light bulb. We're in this technologically advanced stage of human history. And so we do away with it. But when we think about reform theology, uh, I mean, we all be- became probably reformed by choice. I, I chose to be um, Presbyterian. You know, mm-hmm. I, was, I was raised in sort of non-denominational and I moved to be confessionally reformed with conviction uh, because it's true. And that truth is what gives life. And so when we have, like one theologian said, um, the one who knows God best loves and praises him best. (laughs) That's what we want in our modern world. We want people to understand the truth of the gospel. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So I think getting getting beyond the older that newer isn't always better is probably one one step in that direction and one step toward answering that question. Hmm. Yeah. And so we've also talked about that this is also kind of reflecting on uh, Machen's work being the hundred hundredth anniversary of Christianity liberals. And so I want to I want to ask this question. So how how um, from how he treated Christianity in his context, confessionally reformed. Christianity in this context, what what can we learn from Machen's interaction with his cultural world, uh, with Reformed theology helping understand this contextual world? What can we learn from the 20, 21st century that he provided in the 20th century for us today to see like, hey, we have forebears in this of how to preach and teach and, and worship in this current modern world, <clears throat> like what Nick asked and you just responded to. Yeah, that's a great question. It could be answered in so many different ways because that book is just phenomenal. I mean, you've got him doing scholarly work. You've got him doing low-level pastoral work, um, focusing on the gospel. It's just the whole package deal. So I think some things that that one can learn from dealing with the modern world is showing that that at the end of the day, what they deny. Like, what do they deny? They're denying Christianity. It's yeah. it's it's Christianity and liberalism, right? So if you do not hold to these key tenets of the faith, you do not hold to Christianity. And what how he goes about that is is really helpful. Like emphasis on history and theology, like mm-hmm. the that Christianity is founded on history, uh, historical evidence. It's not just mm. this this faith that you have in feelings or whatever it is that you kind of produce within yourself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he goes against the modern tendency, you know, the, the mantra, one of the mantras that he goes against is Christianity is a life, not a doctrine, you know? And so there's this anti uh, intellectual modern hostility to doctrine that he's trying to go against. He also appeals to those who want to just have the feelings of Christianity and the affection, and even looking to Jesus as just an, an ethical exemplar, right? Someone to yeah. follow and be like. Um, I mean, he just picks away at that to the point where he shows them uh, that you are denying the, the main presuppositions of the gospel and Reformed theology, which is a doctrine of God and doctrine of man. And and if you when you do that, you are opting for your own set of doctrine hmm. and your own framework and he tries to show them that that framework just doesn't work at all hmm. uh, and so i think that's that's a really helpful move as well in christian liberalism but there are other things as well like the condition of low visibility how people try to get away from embarrassing doctrine uh using the same word but meaning something entirely different by it you know so when they say a word like um even christ they they have a different picture of Christ altogether. Yeah, they just like that. There is a <clears throat> a little story. There's I've been driving up and back from essentially San Luis Obispo, which is a three and a half mile or three and a half hour drive, and on my way through Long Beach, there's a church sign on the 405 that has this little motto. Not that's not like the motto that you were talking about before, like not like your grandma's church, but it said, "Learn to live and love like Jesus." And I've been thinking about that more and more. I was like, you know what? I know people kind of like that sign, but it's essentially meaningless because it's like he becomes an exemplar. 
he becomes somebody who you who you follow his actions but you don't actually like you're not found in him it's you try to live like him that's yeah. i think there's a there's a little bit i, I it sounds kind of cool on on like a front brush like oh i like i would love to live like jesus until <laughs> you actually try to live like jesus it's like oh man this is that's a that's a different kind of perfect life that i can't really do myself that's right. And it kind of sounds like what Machen's saying. It's uh, an example versus um, a proclamation. Yeah. Yeah. I, and he, he goes to town on that one. And it's important. I mean, even Luther does uh, in what to look for and expect in the Gospels. He says you need to receive Christ's gift before example. Yep. When you, yep. you see him doing anything in the Gospels or anywhere else or you hear him spoken of doing something, you've got to accept that as being done for you. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the gift mm -hmm. and you are found in him and the newness of his life dwells in you to be able to fulfill the law of love, albeit imperfectly and always resting on his personal work as the basis yeah. of salvation. But we can be like Christ in the sense that we are participating in him and he is working through us again, albeit imperfectly. So I think that's, that's really an important point to stress in our modern day, especially when people are just saying, be like Jesus. Yeah, totally. Or even like when you think about no creed, but the Bible, mm -hmm. I mean, that mm -hmm. huge emphasis as well. Like we don't want, uh, we don't have to care about theology. We don't have to care about confessions. All we need is the Bible. And you're like, well, you know, heretics just had the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And look what they did with it. Yeah, they sure um, sound convincing if all you know is the Bible. Yeah, exactly. You can find evidence for your view. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> pretty easy to evidence. twist it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And, totally. I mean, just looking at the timeline of human history, we are in a huge advantage point. Not only do we live after the Bible has been, the canon's been closed, which is like a small part of human history. Like most of human history, the it was, you know, the Bible's not closed yet. And then not only that, do we stand on the shoulders of giant theologians in the early church and the reformation who struggle I mean, with the questions that we struggle with today? We just don't look back at them anymore. Th there's really no excuse for us to not really know this stuff. We have everything in the world given to us. So that's kind of helping answer some of that question too, is, or you were explaining is this, we have all these giant theologians shoulders to, to stand on. Um, from Athanasius, Irenaeus, up to Augustine, and uh, to the Reformers and everything. And this is all after the Bible even has been closed. So my goal, my question, is to have the audience understand the consistency with the Apostolic Fathers to the Magisterial Reformers tackling the same issues we hear today. I mean, they've written some really good works a lot of people don't know about, unfortunately. But what are some of the examples that of what the Reformers addressed against heresies that agreed with the early church fathers and still applicable today? I just want to see that consistency, that timeline where the early church fathers, what they're saying is consistent with the Magisterial Reformers, and we can still use that today in our modern culture. Hmm. It's a great question. I mean, with time and debate, you obviously get more and more theological precision hmm. and focus that hmm. goes on. But but the the main issue I think that runs throughout is the, the question Jesus even asked, who do people say that I am? Right? So you have everyone thinking that Jesus is a certain way. You think of 
of uh, even in First John, um, different depictions of who Jesus is, maybe some incipient Gnosticism, mm-hmm. uh, material is bad, only the soul spirit is good, or some docetism, mm-hmm. right? Only if Jesus appeared to take on flesh, but really flesh is bad, so he didn't do that. Or you even get that in the New Testament Apocrypha with the, I think it's the Apocalypse of Peter or Gospel of Peter, where mm-hmm. uh, Jesus is laughing at people who think that he has died because he obviously <laughs> do that. Uh, and you get second century, third century fathers arguing against some of this, these incipient ideas, um, which all focus on who Jesus is. And, and then you get the councils and the creeds and, and the confessions on focusing on who Jesus is and his person, his work. You get the reformers who are doing the same as far as how it relates to man's salvation. Uh and, and it even goes into today. I mean, people are still asking that question. And I was what about to say, it sounds so similar to like transgender kind of topics. The body is not real and changeable. And the soul, the thing inside of me is the real. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you can you can apply that to gender uh, ideology or even abortion, right? That the, that the, the human being in your body is not a true human being until it has no. mental capability. I, I mean, these, these ideas are still, yeah, they uh, never, the heresies never cease. They just transform into different cultural contexts. That's mm. exactly right. They rear their ugly heads again and again and again. And so I think um, they're related to that. At the center of that, I think is, is who is Jesus. Um, that's, the most important question that the modern world can be asking as well, uh, because everyone has their own idea. Oh, well, he didn't really suffer the wrath of God, or no, he didn't really die on the cross, or no, he really didn't raise, he wasn't raised from the dead, yeah. or no, we don't really need to be forgiven of sins, therefore we don't need a lamb. Why do we need a lamb anyway? That's so ancient and mm-hmm. and primitive. Or God's so, a cosmic child abuser, and Jesus just suffered the wrath of the patriarchal kind of headmaster. Yeah, yeah, or even worse, he was just an example of self-giving <laughs> love, you know, and we should all die for our neighbors. And and you're like, yeah, well, yeah, in the sense, he says that you no know, greater love does a man have and uh, personally down his life for his friends. But man, he died for sinners. <laughs> yeah, not for so, friends, for those who hate him. <laughs> that's right. That is one glorious truth. And I think that speaks to our modern world as well. Like, we yeah. try to find our worth in our work. We try to find our worth in how many likes we have on social media, who we're connected to, what opportunities we yeah. get. Or I mean, how we present ourselves. Am I, am I being affirmed in who I am and who I'm presenting to be? And if I'm not, then I'm being attacked or whatever it is. And exactly. like, I have to be affirmed because I have nothing outside of me to affirm me. Exactly. That's exactly right. And what greater news mm-hmm. does Reformed Theology give than the grace of God coming from outside of you your worth, being the very worth of Christ outside of you, and yet informing all that you are and all that you do. I, I mean, it's a glorious truth in a world that is fascinated by worth and mm-hmm. even an honor and shame world, right? Like we mm-hmm. we think if we're being exalted and others are being shamed or we're better than others, then we feel a sense of worth. And we just carry that into all aspects of life. That's good. It's scary. And, and that's the great thing about the gospel, right? It reverses the pattern. Yeah, <laughs> you so are good. Lower yourself for yeah. the sake of of others, and Christ lowered Himself for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Totally. That's why it's truly, we've heard the term upside down kingdom. It literally yeah. is like. I remember hearing this in Dr. Baugh's gospels class, and he was talking about the structure of the gospel of Luke, and it kind of flips the ancient world on its head. It's yeah. the lowly comes in as the exalted, and the exalted come as the lowly. Yeah. Exactly. And that, and that is the great reversal of, of, a, of a world that, again, making the connection between first, first century and 21st century, yeah. uh, you, you, when you think about honor and shame, that's it. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the, the, the best, it's the greatest who is on top, and those who are beneath are, are just shamed and dishonored. But, you know, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And he yep. flips it, especially through the cross. Yeah. yeah. I think we we like we sometimes make the east-west dichotomy where the east has kind of familial um honor and shame stuff, and the west doesn't really have it. And then social media came in and leveled the <laughs> playing field and said yeah. everyone is honored and shamed now. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. And then the cancel culture. I mean, yeah. this is now the way that we function, yep. and it's driven by vitriolic rhetoric and and hatred yeah um, yeah it's sad mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier uh no creed but the bible type of thought or theology and i i i want to address that crowd that and what we're speaking to is a lot of the modern contemporary churches that's kind of the way they go because they don't they don't know the uh westminster they don't know the uh creeds confessions and catechisms they're just like hey me and my private bible time and you know they're they're more doing eisegesis versus exegesis so yeah. so i wanted to actually ask this question um because there's so many christians out there great intentions and they might just be a product of going to kind of like a non-denominational church they don't know any better so we're definitely not saying that yeah, we're they've never been exposed to this so how would they ever know about this stuff so my question would be um Let's let's take this moment to introduce maybe pretending for the first time to people that don't know about these catechisms and confessions that, hey, these or and creeds like the no creed, but the Bible crowd. Hey, we have things after the canon was closed to help explain the Bible. You know, could you yeah. maybe yeah. address that real quick? Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I first became a Christian, I I became a Christian at 18. I was going to be i wanted to be a pro skateboarder i was mm. amateur that was just my life which is what every socal kid wanted to be i know was a skateboarder. <laughs> or surfer yeah tony hawk was big when i was a kid yeah. oh yeah yeah definitely um so you have you i had all that desire to, to go in that direction friend dies and become a believer it wasn't even academic oh, wow. skateboarding was my school hmm. and and then i just wanted to read the bible i just couldn't put it down I went to every church service I could go to. I went to every Bible study I could go to. Well, why? Because I wanted to be taught. Hmm. I, I wanted to be taught and I knew I needed to be taught the scriptures. And so I needed to be guided. But I think what ends up happening in these non-denominational uh, churches, like the one I went to, I literally was taught for about four months. And then I was ready to go somewhere else. Uh, and, and thankfully, I found um, a Calvary Chapel uh, pastor who found me at Starbucks and we started a Bible study with three people and it grew to be 30. Oh, and 
and we would we would read scripture and he taught me from seven at night till sometimes two in the morning we we're just teaching it was teaching fellowship uh prayer is awesome now that's what we all desire but what ends up happening in these churches is that your church started 10 years ago so yeah. the person who is teaching you is the person who started this church in a basement and has become this is more negative but bear with me yeah. the evangelical pope yeah what he teaches goes and no one sort of challenges him and <clears throat> and so you get all the teaching now your desire is not just no creed but the bible really your desire is to be taught by someone and God has given us such great resources in this technological age to be able to access. I mean, you, you mentioned Athanasius, Irenaeus, the Apostolic Fathers, Augustine. I mean, you just think about everyone throughout church history, uh, even in the Reformation, of course, and later, mm-hmm. that we can now just look up, what do they say about this verse? <laughs> and and <laughs> boom, right it. there in Logos. It's all yeah. there. You know what I mean? Um, and so... I think we need to take that uh, no creed but the Bible and say, actually, it's false. We want to be taught. I remember I mentioned that I, when I became a Christian, I led a Bible study because all I want to do is talk about Jesus. And now my non-denominational church let me lead a Bible study after being a Christian for one year. And so what did I yeah. do? I grabbed my study Bible, my NIV study Bible, and read the study notes. Before <laughs> yeah. I, actually, the first time I led a Bible study, it was... Uh, <laughs> I didn't think I was going to teach it. I just wanted to talk about Jesus. I just wanted to learn more about who he is. And, yeah. and then I, everyone's eyes were on me and I'm like, Oh, I've got to prepare. So all I did <laughs> was read the study notes and then came in with some botched ideas. Um, I, I, I pray I didn't harm anyone spiritually during that time, but uh, and the Lord is gracious. But I think that that's our desire as Christians and what better resource than those who have been tried and true, hmm. those who have have learned the languages, those who have done all the work of understanding the history, the text itself, the meaning of the text, the theology that comes from the text and how that is then pastorally applied. And then you take the confessions and the catechisms and creeds, which are just summaries of what the Bible teaches. Like, mm-hmm. let's just get over the fact that it's a document. We all have documents. You have a doctrine, a doctrinal statement on your website, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That supposedly teaches what the Bible or it succinctly describes what the Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. Like, we're okay yeah. with documents too, but these documents <laughs> are approved. They're approved. They're ecumenical yeah. creeds or confessions. Uh, and so it's not just one person. Who says that's a great doctrinal statement? I wrote that up in ten minutes and posted it. <laughs> <on my way. laughs> yes and amen. Yeah, you got a seventeen hundred year old document that that summarizes what the Bible says and has been died for, witnessed to, um, critiqued. Yeah, critiqued to the nth degree, and that's like I, like I, it's odd for me. Like I, I think us Americans can learn quite a bit from our persecuted brothers and sisters across the world who, when they look at the catechism, like that's, that's generally speaking what they say before they die. And this is what I usually say to our church, the OPC is when somebody says this anywhere else, pretty much besides America and especially middle Eastern countries, if you say some of this stuff, like you're either shot on, on the spot, your head is cut off or whatever it is, because yeah. the ramifications of that are, are massive. No, it's it's crazy. And and think about like just even catechism questions. Yeah. And 
answers. Like either the Heidelberg Catechism, yes. which is beautiful, pastoral, mm -hmm. and warm, or the Westminster Catechisms. I mean, these are just succinct answers to questions like, what is God? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. It How seems so easy, but then you read it as like, that's way bigger than I thought it was. <laughs> it's practical yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Totally practical. Exactly. How do you, how do you, how does someone answer that who just reads their Bible, who's read their Bible seven times in a row? How do they answer that question? Succinctly. Yeah. Not just answering, but answering Thanks. it succinctly. Yeah. And now add on to that something the modern culture even more is like we attention spans are so much shorter. So yeah. Totally. Somebody that doesn't know the Bible asks you a question: "Who who is God?" Yeah. Uh, and you're fumbling your around. Brain say, profiles from Genesis to Revelation. Like, how do I answer this question? They're not going. They're not going to pay attention. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're just going to do straight up BT at that point, right? You're just going to take yeah. that line and go from Genesis. <laughs> yeah. to Revelation. It's like, what is God? Well, let me tell you. Yeah. How long do yeah. you have? And seventy. <laughs> it takes statistically seventy hours if you read from. First Genesis one one to the end of Revelation nonstop. So do you have seventy hours? No, no one does. No. So I'm going to explain yeah. what it says. <laughs> the Westminster right. shorter is I don't know. It takes you know, 15 seconds to say what is God. God is exactly. spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He is in His wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And you can tell that to somebody, and then there you go. That's what God That's is. That's it. That's it. You don't, you don't <laughs> define Him because He's not. He's not. He's not. Uh, comprehensible since you can know all things about him, but like you can know that about him, and that's yeah. what confessions help us with. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And he's spirit, not you know a human being, not flesh. He's infinite, not bound by yeah. by uh, by um, space. He's eternal, not bound by time. I mean, in his being and all of that. I, I, that's yeah. that's important. These are yeah. all not just biblical but theologically important truths to affirm yeah. and to train our children in it so that exactly. it becomes an assumption yep like, so when they go to college and they hear something like oh yeah god is a human being he was born by other right. parents no bro they, i learned when i was seven what this was exactly yeah exactly that is i because that's that's something that i think about so often as i transition to my my next question is when you're a kid, I'm, I mean, I remember going to high school and I remember being, I remember being questioned. I remember meeting my first atheist friend and then just being befuddled. I was like, how on earth do I share? I mean, I wasn't a Christian at this point, but like I kind of assumed I was a Christian, but I was not, I had no clue what I believed. I was just like, oh, I'm a Christian because my parents are Christians. That's just what I am. But I remember meeting my first atheist friend who was like, yeah, God doesn't exist. I was like, how do I answer him if I have no categories to answer him from? Nothing that, that has taught me the basics of the faith, which, like when Nick said, that's what the creeds and catechisms are. That teaches us the basics. And so when you're 10, sure, maybe this is not something you believe kind of at like in a comprehensive way, but you've been taught it. So you can like you can understand. So when you do believe this stuff, you have categories for when you do believe. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's those categories that make or break your view of God. Quick little plug for our own podcast here. If you are an individual and you want to help donate for this work, you can go to our show notes, to our Patreon page, as well as our Spotify donations page. If you want to make a recurring donations, they're either $15 or $20 a month or a single donation. You can also do that as well. 
Those really help us on the back end to give to this work, to keep up our website, to make sure we can pay those who help with our editing, with our software, with our merchandising, all, all those good things. If you're a potential sponsor and you want to sponsor us and, and fill out one of our ads, you can email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com and we can talk through some of the options that we have. And we would love to work with both individuals and publishers, institutions, seminaries, whoever it may be, as we all work towards our mission of bridging the gap to reform Christian theology. Yep. Help expand our work and be a bridge builder. Totally. Yeah. yeah that's really important. <laughs> and I, remember, <laughs> exactly. I, I didn't, I wasn't raised again in a reformed context. My mom, was I. Yeah. My mom was a great Monica like figure, you know, mm -hmm. loved the Lord, Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. I would see Benny Hinn on yeah, TV. I was, I was mainline Presbyterians. I was, I was about as far from reformed as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I and before I became Presbyterian, I always thought Presbyterians were just not Christian. <laughs> I, I never I thought, thought false. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, in some some churches, yeah, in some contexts, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, but I wish I had these catechisms. I'm trained now teaching my children, and, and I just think it's it's priceless. Totally. It's definitely priceless. But it roots you in the church. It roots you in church history. Uh, and in the doctrine that's being handed down throughout the ages. Yeah. So, so with this, um, one of one of my last questions. And Nick talked about the broader Christian audience, not reformed. That's what we're trying to think about during the season: is the non-reformed people introducing the reformed faith, because it tends to be reformed theology. Like, yeah, of course. Like, we're we're trimming the case. It has it has a big place in the modern world. It helps answer questions that the modern world has. The modern person has. But so often it kind of comes across as like a little academic, a little over people's heads. Like I have to start off at a Calvary Chapel, non-denominational kind of kind of vanilla church, whatever it might be. Then I move to a Calvinistic kind of leading church. Then I move above there. So there's like this graduation process until you can hit a reformed church. So how how in today's modern world with just a a lack of any biblical sense that anybody has. So there's like not even a, a base to start from, which might've been the case in Machen's day, but at least there's mm. something to start from. But today it seems like there's nothing to start. So how do we start introducing these truths and it's like help people not make the jump, but for lack of a better way, make the jump from no belief into a reformed belief. Hmm. So mainly thinking about non-Christians. Yeah, so that, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I'm thinking non-Christians, those who have nothing. Because that's it tends to be, like I said, if people who are listening know this, it's it tends to be that you start at kind of the quote-unquote lower churches to kind of get the basics. And then you move when you have all of your categories together to reform church. How can we as reformed Christians um, take alongside non-Christians and introduce them to the faith with reformed categories without going over their head? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. It, it's interesting because in our context in Southern California, it just tends to be entertainment-based, right? Or even really in the world, uh, you do, or in America, you have this entertainment-based focus. It's focused on feelings. And as we know, we're not living in a, an age of reason, no. right? We're living <laughs> in the age of feelings and yeah, No matter what somebody so, says, we're not in the age of reason. There's no question no, about that. You're right. That's why prosperity gospel churches are flourishing. Uh, that's why the churches with a, a phenomenal worship band, 16-person band, is flourishing because of the emotions and the feelings that can be 
uh, created in the hearts of people. And then they, what they do is they then conflate Christianity with feelings so that when you talk about the mind or the life of the mind, that hopefully produces feelings, right? Yep. And emotions, uh, love toward God and neighbor, uh, then it's, it's sort of foreign. It's just foreign to them. So I think, um, you know, and you also have non-Christians, some who are more intellectual than others, sure. right? Yeah. You've got this broad audience that you're yep. working with. How do we introduce them to the glorious truths of Reformed theology? Really, the gospel, yep. I think, is, uh, I think one, I think of Romans 118 and following, you know, yep. like they're, they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, the truth that God exists, that, that he's powerful, and that we're going to be accountable to him. Yeah. Right. There, there is this sense of the divine within yep. the unbelief. <laughs> Big time. Um, yeah. And I think recognizing again the two gospel presuppositions Machen talks about that there is a huge gulf between man and God. Mm-hmm. But doctrine of God and doctrine of man are extremely important. Who you are, right? Do you recognize yourself as someone who's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness by the ways that they think and live? Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's extremely important uh, because the gospel and reformed theology speaks directly into that. Uh, what greater message than than a God, right? A God who lowers himself, a condescends to be in relationship with man, a father who sends his son to die on a cross, the most shameful, the most shameful way to die <laughs> in the world to be utterly dishonored for mm-hmm. those who hate him who mm-hmm. are hostile enemies against him so that by his death he might give you eternal life and you might be raised from the dead on the final day and there's more that can be unpacked there but what greater message in our day and age than one that really does amplify grace this gift, yeah. not just of something, but of someone, yeah. the person of Jesus Christ who gives himself for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not just like this flowery, abstract feeling truth, but mm-hmm. one that's rooted in history. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the glorious thing about, about uh, the Bible. It's that it's history got acted in time and space. I mean, you can go to these places and, uh, and he also spoke and interpreted these historical events. It's history and theology. It's yeah. not like in the modern world, history over against theology yeah. for the rationalist or the, uh, uh, the the person who's just a modern liberal. Or it's all about theology. No, it's both. It's history and theology. And that matters for, yeah. the, for the person who is doubting the faith yeah. and listening to their atheistic friend. And saying, oh, all this is hogwash because they've just been told Christianity is a feeling. Yeah. Uh, and so they begin to believe that. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, it's it's not. It's intellectual and it's emotional. And I think, uh, honestly, in the delivery of Reformed theology and preaching the gospel, I think both need to be present. 100%. We need to show that we have what Augustine called true understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Which is love for God and love for neighbor. That's how someone truly understands the scriptures. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's... That's something to where um, me a train. I mean, about to be ordained, um, studying for ordination exams. I've I have seen. I mean, I love Reformed theology, but like I'll I'll admit, most Reformed ministers are 
not I can't say most. There's a lot of reform ministers who like I kind of get like it's a little boring to listen to. It's kind of hard. Like that's it's it tends to be kind of the you know the reformed um I don't know like the, the kind of slap on the reform wrist is like we're <clears throat> we're extremely doctrinal, which is fantastic, but then we just stick with doctrine. And we don't yeah. we don't hit the emotions, we don't hit the pathos, we don't we don't hit the person in the heart. Uh, and like I think there's there's something to be said, like what you said, like being passionate at the pulpit. Like this is this is really true, and you have to believe this. Versus I think going through the motions and just kind of splurting everything you just learned the last week about that passage. I, that's that's something I see um, in what you're yeah. saying. It's like we. <laughs> Gosh, like for reform, like we just got to be way more passionate at the podium and not just to be passionate for passionate sake. Right. Like be passionate about the gospel and let that be known to your people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And personalities are all different. Right? Absolutely. But yeah. I'm not being, saying one personality is better than the other, but like there's something about passion. Right. And there's something about being confessional and reading the, the larger catechism on how to preach the word of God, which yep. is simply <laughs> right. <laughs> simply proclaim the gospel where you see even in reformed churches yeah they get so caught up in the doctrine that they want basically give a lecture from the pulpit yeah, yeah. which is not helpful also it says zealously uh, um we're to preach with zeal yeah. and with fervent love for the souls of people yeah. <laughs> so i mean it's sometimes there. a lot of the reform ministers pissed at the people i was like i don't know if that's the <laughs> That should be your yeah general kind of feeling towards them. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. We need to preach to the heart. Um, and I think galvanize people with the gospel. Yeah. Like that, the only way they're going <laughs> to, to be transferred from the domain of darkness into the marvelous light and kingdom of the sun. That's the only way a Christian is going to move from being apathetic spiritually to wanting to serve the Lord with all of his or her might. I mean, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so why not preach it warmly yeah. and simply? Totally. Yeah, that's yeah. before before that for Nick's just a like a little observation, what you're saying, too. It's it is. I, I think reform people, I think sometimes we tend to think people have a hard time with the law and like the gospel is easy. And I think I mean, it is the Westminster in me. It's like we've we have a lot harder time with the law or we have a lot harder time with grace than we have with the, like the law kind of makes sense to us. Like, yeah, like you, you very rarely see somebody, if you really ask them to, to think about who they are and to think about all their fears, expectations, everything like, Hey, do you feel good about yourself? I can't imagine who anybody who truly answers that is like, yeah, I do. I feel good about myself. Everyone's like, yeah, I like, there's something I'm missing. There's some standard I'm falling under. And I, like, I know it. And I, my, my mind tells me this all the time. And when you tell them that, the gospel has come to fulfill this for them. I think that's really hard for people to understand and say, there's something from outside of me that can make, this is going to sound really modern, but can make me feel better. It's <laughs> like that, that just, I, th- I feel like that goes against the grain of a lot of people's minds. That's, that's hard to take. It's yeah. the good news is I think a lot harder to take than the bad news, <laughs> even though I think reform were right, but people don't necessarily hear the bad news all the time. But I think it's like we see in Romans one, that's, like, I think we already preached that to ourselves. We preached the bad news to ourselves quite a bit. Yeah. And, and if you actually step, take a step back and think about how good the good news is, yeah, it's overwhelming. Yeah, I it mean, all, in the ancient world, you know, people have to find something that makes it just for God to give this great gift of grace. You know, like even Philo, yeah. he talks about 
in Noah. How has Noah found grace? How did he find grace with God? Well, it's his name. It means yeah. rest. Rest from what? Rest from wickedness. So <laughs> there had to be something and some innate worth within him that God would lavish this glorious good news that you found grace with God. You kind of sound like your mentor right now, John Barclay. Oh, man. Yeah. I, he got me really excited. <laughs> the exchange of grace. Yeah. The exchange of gifts. Yes. Yeah. Well, I have definitely been influenced by him uh, and not influenced in other areas. Sure. I take yeah, it. No, I I yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that contrast with the ancient world, you, that's like Jewish world. Uh, it's Greco-Roman world. Yeah, it was this gift for gift. Knew. It was this thing for that thing. It was, yeah, it was, quid pro, yeah, it was, it was this for that. Yep, that's it. And to have given something and not having given something in return or not even that, but to be indebted and then being given a gift, like mm-hmm. you said, just made no sense to them. Like, how does this gifting work? Exactly. It, it turns the world upside down. Yeah. Like you're saying earlier, that the creator creature distinction is so huge. I mean, yeah. if there's one episode in the history of our show that this, the, the clip from Dr. R.C. Sproul, what's wrong with you people? This <laughs> episode is appropriate. It's like you said, what's wrong with you people? Uh, I was there. Was, yeah. Oh, you were? I remember when he said that. Oh, I was man. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> So, so his big thing that he was frustrated was we don't understand who God is and who we are, and yeah. and I think that's what the reform well, theology does a really it. good we, job. We are little gods right now. We're no longer creatures. We're meaning makers. We're not given meaning. We make meaning. So. Yes. So what the reform theology really drives home is like reminding who God is and who we are. Yeah. And I think without reform theology, a lot of the church is straight away and and blended the two. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's really caused some problem, huge biblical problems. So, um, well, on that note, yeah, really quickly, I mean, you yeah. you think about the ways that Romans culminates from chapter one into eleven, mm-hmm. and at eleven with Paul saying, "Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can be his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid as if he's in debt?" Well, the answer is no one. For <laughs> yeah. from him, through him, and to him are all things. Like he. He uses theology, Romans 1 through 11, to culminate into a right understanding of the creator-creature distinction, and even the giver-receiver distinction, yeah. that yeah. we are always in debt to God. We yep. are always receivers. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. it's like you said, he turns the world, he turns the Greco-Roman world and the modern world upside down and says, you give him nothing. In fact, you have sinned against him your entire life, and then he comes around and gives you a gift of eternal life. Exactly. Yeah. That's glorious news. My my last question, the, the goal of my question is getting um, any proof of influence uh, that's not aver- obvious to the average person of what refor- the Reformers, Reformed Theology does for even just the overall church today, um, where we could see it. So uh, what are some underpinnings and hints of Reformed Theology that the average person may not realize over, uh, that's in our overall Protestant church system today? Not to steal an answer, but the one thing that I would think is like just even having our Bibles. Everyone has a Bible yeah. and is able to read it because mm-hmm. the, the, that was Martin Luther's big thing. He's like wanted the, everyone to have a Bible. But yeah, go ahead and um, go for yeah, it. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, yeah, I, I, I like that answer because that's why we have a Bible in our hands, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the, the services would still be in Latin um, mm-hmm. and you would only have visual pictures of 
Jesus. Still and effectively know nothing. Exactly. You would know nothing. And all you would know is what your human intuition would tell you who God is. Mm-hmm. And that's terrible. I mm-hmm. mean, we need we need the Bible to tell us who God is or else we have a very distorted picture of God and also a very distorted picture of man. And it's got to be one of the most depressing ways to live. Yeah. That I've got to because innately we're saying I've got to do something to earn this gift. So one, I would say the Bible, but but two, like even when we think about uh, the gospel itself as gift, as good news, I mean, that's because it remains to be good news. I mean, with what the reformers did, they they salvaged the good news that was always there from the beginning, right? But had been distorted throughout time. And so they were able to emit light on this glorious gospel that is still proclaimed you know, faithfully in these non-denominational churches when it comes to the, the the person and work of Jesus Christ, which, again, we can be thankful to our uh, Reformed heritage for that as well. Um, try and think of anything else. Um, man, there's got to be more. I'm just kind of well, like we be able to say, like, if you're Protestant, that that alone is evidence. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's exactly right. But I think what happens, though, is that they swing the pendulum too far. So like what the reformers fought for, they're trying to fight for a balance. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's not capital T tradition. It's lowercase t tradition. The confessions, the catechisms, the creeds, they are subordinate standards, but they are biblically accurate standards yeah. that we can subscribe to. So but they swung the pendulum all the way. No tradition. Far. No tradition. So a lot of even the, the things that they're indebted to the Reformed tradition um, have been convoluted even within their own churches as well. That's something to look out for. Yeah. So I'm going to slightly change my last question and I'm going to use an audience question. We posted up a little giveaway thing um, to give away uh, Gretchen Machen's Christianity and Liberalism from Westminster Press. And so I posted a little thing. And so we have a, a question from a guy named Larry Chapin. So we talked to him and so he knows that this is coming. Um, so actually, and I think this is a good way to end this episode because um, it's those who are, who are looking at reformed theology, I think for the first time and say, you know what, this makes sense. And how do I start doing this? Maybe I'm a pastor of the church and I want to reform our worship. I want to reform our theology so that we are reformed or, I'm a member of a church and how, like, I don't go to a foreign church, but I love my church. I don't want to leave my church. How, like, how can I, how can I talk to somebody? Cause I don't want to just kind of take this over, which is kind of the, <laughs> kind of the cage stage kind of thing to do is you just want to tell yeah. everybody and tell them they're wrong. Um, yeah. So for churches considering, so um, two parts. So what are the benefits of being a reformed church? This is, this is not just doctrine. This is like practical real life stuff. And for churches considering a change, what advice, and I'm going to say maybe from both the pastoral and the membership uh, or member kind of perspectives, how would you counsel them? Not for like that you have all the answers, but they're considering changing. How how would they start doing this? Like, yeah, I think I think we want to be part of this tradition, but we're not part of this tradition yet. How do we smoothly transition into this? Okay, so re- remind me, the first question is... So the first one is just like being a Reformed church. Like what, what are the benefits of being a Reformed church? Oh, man. The benefits of being in a reformed church, there's so many. I mean, we, we can think doctrinally, right? Yeah. Uh, that we have the truth of, of the gospel and all of its implications. Uh, we think of 
a right understanding of total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints, right? Doctrines of grace. And it's grace. We emphasize the Bible. We love Jesus. We want Jesus to be glorified. Everything we do is God-centered. Um, but also, you, you go into a Reformed church, and the worship is theologically informed, mm-hmm. right? With everything from the call to worship and mm-hmm. every, every element of the reading of the law and being convicted mm-hmm. of the law, but being assured by the gospel, hearing the preaching of the sermon, benediction, all, and, and confession of sin. Every single aspect of Reformed liturgy is just so helpful because it's informed by that theology, Mm-hmm. Right, we we always have worship being informed by theology, but that theology is either good or bad. <laughs> so it's great to be able to come into reform worship and have, you know, everything be theologically informed and sound. And I think that's really helpful. Now there are distinctions about, um, you know, the essence of, of or or circumstances sure. and yeah. instruments you have or what. You do. <laughs> yeah. You wear robes, you not wear robes. But there are some continuities between everything. There is some continuity. And and I think it's also beautiful when you think not just of doctrine and how it informs worship or how theology informs the Lord's Supper as well, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> grace, but then uh, how church is governed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the one thing that I really struggled with, with non-denominational churches, is that you had an evangelical pope. You had one guy who started this church in his basement. He's in charge. He may or may not have yes men on his board. And these guys may or may not meet qualifications of an elder in First mm-hmm. Timothy 3. And, and yet no one can tell him what to do. And, and that's, that's hard for me as opposed to being in a reformed context where you have, you know, the local church, presbytery, general assembly, there's accountability from the top down as it were, although we're, uh, equals and brothers, but there's no one person at the top who's yeah. telling everyone how to do things. And that, obviously that church government uh, had to have been effective. I mean, American uh, politics adopted the same, American <laughs> adopted yeah. the same model. Um, so that I think is also beautiful to see. So you see uh, all of that, it's doctrine, it's worship, church government, and then even life itself. Like I said, bad views of God, and bad views of man lead to a very depressing life. Huh. But when you have good views of God and a right view of man, yeah. then it can lead to what you're saying, feeling good about yourself, you know, yeah. or just having life in one. Yeah, not in a modern and flimsy way, but in a solid way. Biblical way. It's exactly right. Feeling good in Christ, yep. being able to boast in the Lord, uh, yeah. because that's after all, and having joy and all the other emotions that spring uh, or the fruit of the spirit. So I think all of that amplifies mm-hmm. Reformed theology amplifies our um, doctrine, worship, church government, and practical living. Your second question then is how do how does someone who is a part of a church become reformed? How do they start going to yeah? So if if they're like, I love my church and how do I maybe bring this up to my pastors? I'm not a leader at this church, but like I'm reformed, I'm coming to reform convictions. And then for maybe pastors of a church who are like, Yeah, this is we're being convinced of this stuff. How do we maybe do this? Because we're seeing the the truths of reformed theology. How do we implement this in the church? Yeah. Well, I mean, for those who are coming to reform convictions, keep reading your Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
read and keep reading those other books yeah. that you're reading, whether it's systematic theology books, uh, Spurkoff or Bavink or Voss yeah. or Calvin, and and then keep going back to the Bible. Yeah. Uh, the more you become convinced that Scripture teaches us, I mean, it's everywhere. That's the one thing that when I became a Calvinist, it was like reading R.C. Sproul's Chosen by God, and then going <laughs> back and just reading and rereading Scripture. I'm like, it's everywhere. Yeah. And so that leads into how do you talk to someone at your church who's not reformed? I I would say number one, um, don't go in guns blazing. That's for sure. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's how I went in. I think it's how a lot of people went in and it's just not helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful. It's not helpful. And also you got to know who you're talking to, right? Yeah. Is this person going to be receptive or is this just going to blow up and I'm going to be that heretic and it's going to create division in the church. You want to be after the peace and purity of the church and it's not a false church. Um, no. Well, it could be, but yeah, but it could be. Presumably it's not. So yeah, you got a good faithful church. You want to keep them where they're, what they're doing. Maybe you want to reform their theology, but if they're good and faithful, then keep it up. Exactly. So if you want to reform their theology, I would say show them that great balance of learning for the sake of loving, loving God and loving neighbor. Show them your theology, not just by pointing out passages, which is great. You can say, have you seen this passage, you know, and like planting seeds? Have you read Romans 9? Have you read Ephesians 1? Uh, have you read John 6? You, know, yeah. like, you can plant those seeds like, whoa, we should do a Bible study on this. And allow them, you know, uh, I think of How to Win Friends and Influence People. Terrible book. But, <laughs> but there is a principle that you help people get to your conclusion. <laughs> but make them think they got there on their own. <laughs> There could right. be an element of that if it's for a greater cause, right? Um, yeah. Some holy persuasion. Uh, but <laughs> you you could, you, I would just say, be as wise, uh, as, as gentle as a dove, as wise as a servant. I think that's really important. Um, and I think for the church, if someone's leading a church and they're, they're gaining these reformed convictions, I would say, just teach the Bible. Just keep teaching the Bible, because I think in the end, people will see that Reformed theology is true because Scripture confirms it. Uh, and and then at the same time, when someone's interested, you can say, hey, let's let's read this book and just do like a summary of Christian doctrine uh, by Burka or something that's uh, maybe covertly Reformed. Uh, you can be. <laughs> You can do it that way or just go straight for Bobby. Let's just read that four volume work together. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think discipleship, I think it starts from conversations and it, awesome. it moves. Hmm. Well, yeah, Dr. Rionis, thank you so much for coming on our show, for talking about reformed theology. This, like we said, old theology, but it's, it's not old in the sense it's dead. It's just, it's been tried and true. And we can still use this in our in a modern age, and it still answers the same question. And I think what that's gets people is, it's it's they think it answers different questions that we have today, but it answers the same exact questions that we have today because it is it's asking it's answering eternal questions that we've mm -hmm. always been asking of ourselves. Um, but before I end this episode, we we do have our our five five episodes we always do at the end of the season. I'm just going to line them out. So these are our top five. So I know <laughs> Dr. Briones may not care about this, but our, our audience might. So these are top five. This is what we're going to have November 27th, December 4th, December 11th, December 18th, December 25th. So five episodes between season six and season seven. And so 
the fifth most episode. I'll, I'll finish this real quick and we'll continue the conversation. The fifth most episode was with Julia Sadusky is how do we talk about sex and gender? Then our second most or our fourth most downloaded episode is from the Lozier Institute, Charlotte Lozier. I think of Susan B. Anthony uh, is like the parent company is don't Christians hate women's rights. And it talks about abortion. Uh, the third most downloaded episode is Michael Lycona and Gary Habermas. Did Jesus really resurrect from the grave? The second most downloaded episode these last two kind of surprised me a little bit. It's uh, George Yancey, aren't all Christians racist? Because it tends to be some of the questions that a lot of moderns ask. And the most downloaded episode, which shocked me, and this is going to shock Nick, and this might actually shock Dr. Briones, it's from David Van Drunen. It's don't all Christians vote Republican. That was our number one most wow. downloaded episode of season five. So those would be, those would be fun. And after these five bridge episodes... We'll announce now that our next one is with the people know we've I kind of hired on, not really hired on because we didn't pay him. We just pay him in books. It's um, Dr. Danny Heisen come on for uh, Jesus throughout the whole Bible. So we're going to go Genesis to Revelation with Danny Hyde talking about Jesus in the Bible. So now that we have that done, want to yeah talk to Dr. Brionis and yeah, it's just to kind of plug whatever you want to plug. I don't know if you have any writing projects or what you guys are doing at Westminster, how the new Testament program is going, just anything. Um, yeah. How they can find out more about Westminster or what you're doing. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm working on projects, uh, Philemon commentary <laughs> and some other yep. commentaries and book on the Apocrypha. Uh, but besides that, what's going on in Westminster is the same thing that's been going on since the eighties. That's uh, good. Wanting old is good. Yeah, that's right. Wanting to train people to proclaim Christ, uh, and so it'd be great if anyone's interested. Reach out. You can reach out to me directly if you like. Find my awesome. email. Yeah. I'm sure online. That's that's true. Yeah, you can find his email, and if not, I can I can give it to people if they ask us if we have Dr. Sure. Brionis's permission. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you, Dr. Brionis, so much for coming on i hope this is really helpful recap episode for people i know it's not our usual but i thought it'd be kind of fun just to talk about all this doctrine how it actually hits us in the modern world not just talking about the doctrine itself but how does it find itself answering the questions that we in the modern world have today so thank you so much dr Brionis, for coming on yeah thanks for having me super thank enjoyed. you hope you enjoyed today's episode in our season six introduction to reform theology where all of our guests come from westminster seminary california either current faculty or alumni who come from and graduated from westminster and are serving institutions in churches and academies in the u.s and all across the world where we talk about reform theology through the lens of our confessional tradition westminster the Heidelberg, Belgic, and the Cans of Door. I myself am a graduate of Westminster. I'm heavily influenced, obviously, by the institution and love to share this information with those who don't know this tradition as well. Yeah, and myself as a layperson, theologically interested in, in Reformed theology, this has been extremely helpful this season and then the previous seasons, the last few years in the book clubs, but particularly the, the focus of this season whether you're a layperson or not, uh, having all the guests come from Westminster Seminary, California has been helpful. And you'll get an understanding of why 
that seminary has been so influential to obviously Peter, but myself, and most especially uh, my pastor at my church is a Westminster Seminary, California graduate. Yeah, so if you guys want to find us, one of the easiest ways of helping us out is to find us on Apple or Spotify, whatever podcast catcher, but especially those two, rate and review us. And if you can share us, share an episode, share a season with your friend, that's, that's usually how we, how we uh, build our, our crowd.